receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I do not say this to condemn you, but I have said before you are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying in you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side, without with sightings, within with fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only his coming only, but by the comfort wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. Although I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. But I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. But now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. And Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. But the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of Truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Select verses from John chapter 14, 15, and 16. With Paul's reason for comfort, here's Dr. Mitchell's 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you with studies in the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthian church. I don't know how you folk feel about this as we've been studying this epistle, but you'll notice all the way through that it's really a defense of Paul's apostleship and message, his ministry among others. And as we read it, we see the reaction upon the church at Corinth after he had written them a letter and then how he was comforted by them. So we come down to the seventh chapter, which we were closing up in our last lesson. We had been dealing with the patience of the ministry. You remember how the Apostle Paul spoke to them in chapter 6. And because of their relationship to the Lord, that he's their father and they are his children, 
that they were to cleanse themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. I'd like to emphasize that fact because we are the children of God, that he's our father in a real, real sense, not just doctrinally, but in reality. And he loves us with a greater love than any fleshly father ever gave to us. You see, his love, his affection for his people is perfect. In spite of our frailty and weaknesses and failures, it never affects his love. He's still our father. And this is the appeal of Paul, that as you do not, how shall I put that, uh, do not compromise your position as a child of God, not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What, con what fellowship hath darkness and light, Christ with Belial, he that believeth with an unbeliever, and the cry for separation unto God. This is the great yearning of God's heart. I wish I could put in words just the way I feel about this. I can't get away from the fact that the great yearning of the heart of God for every one of his children, he wants their fellowship. But there can't be any fellowship when sin is between. There can't be any fellowship if we walk and live in, in disobedience. You remember our Lord said in John 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is what it, the, the manifestation of love is obedience. And as you and I are obedient to our Heavenly Father, He showers upon us in our experience, in our lives, His love, His affection, His devotion to us. He just loves to do that. Why do you think He saved you? Why did He forgive you? Why did He cover you with the righteousness of Christ? Why make you the recipient of eternal life? Why make you His children? Why? To get to heaven? That's a mere item. That's a mere item. Know the great yearning of God's heart. God wants a people with whom he can have fellowship, with whom we can have fellowship. This is the ultimate of redemption. God's going to have a people through eternity who will have eternal, unbroken fellowship with him. Just think of a child of God. You're going to spend eternity in the presence of the living God who loves you with an everlasting love. And that fellowship with him will never, never, never be broken. You know, we, we, we think we have joy down here. No, our joy is always mixed up with disobedience and failures and sorrows and testings and afflictions and so on. As the 16th Psalm says, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We haven't begun to touch the fringe of what God has in store for those who love him. Do you love him? I didn't ask you how much. I just ask you, do you love him? If you love him, I'm sure it's because you put your trust in him. And remember that today, he wants your fellowship. He wants my fellowship. As I quoted the other day, that verse from Jeremiah, a mother may forget her child, but I'll never forget you. Wonder of wonders of wonders. That the eternal living God should love folk like you and me. We who were born in sin and shapen in iniquity, cleansed us, transformed us, reconciled us, brought us to himself and said, you're my child. And he's our father. 
And because of this relationship, Paul pleads with us that we might cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of the mind. You know, those evil thoughts, unclean thoughts that come into your mind. It's true you may live outwardly a pure life, but what about your thoughts and your mind? Because I'm a child of the living God, how should I live? Now, Paul goes from that in verse 2, chapter 7, and takes up the comfort of the ministry. You know, as I think of these verses, I can appreciate in a little wee bit the comfort that Paul had. I'm in my 50th year of ministry here in Portland, Oregon. I came here in January 1, uh, 1931. I've been here. I'm in my 50th year. And I've been dealing with hundreds upon hundreds of people. And I can understand in a little wee bit just what Paul talks about in these verses from verse 2 to the end of the chapter. He talks about the comfort of the ministry. Let me read those two or three verses again. Verse 2, where Paul says, Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. You see, Paul was straight in all his, in all his actions. But he, the great yearning of his heart, Receive us. Take us into your heart. Love us. For he goes on to say, I do not say this to condemn you, for I have said before, you are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Whether death or life comes makes no difference. You're in our hearts. However frail you may be, however disobedient you may be, I love you. And he, and he pleads, please put me in your heart. Have a place in your heart for me. It's a wonderful thing when people tell you that they love you, you know. That means that you've got a place in their heart. You've got a place in their affection. You've got a place in their love. This is what Paul wants. I think this is the cry of every real pastor and teacher to be in the hearts of his people. They're on his heart with all their frailty and so on. Every member of your church is on the heart of your pastor. Will you take him into your heart? May he have a place in your heart, in your love, in your affection, in your devotion. That's what Paul's talking for. This is the yearning of his heart. And the more you're in people's hearts, the freer you are to open up your heart, to encourage them in the things of Christ. This is what we have here. And he said, receive us. My life is straight. I haven't wronged anybody. I haven't corrupted anybody. I haven't defrauded anybody. My, what a testimony. I do not speak this to condemn you. I just want you to know you're in my heart, whether I live or whether I die. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying in you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without with fightings, within with fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. Let me just stop here. See, great is my boldness toward you. I'm filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all my tribulation. Joyful in his tribulation? Yes, why? Because he was comforted the way they had received his message. You remember that Paul wrote that first epistle 
And he went after them pretty strongly in chapters 5 and 6 and so on. Because of their actions, they were carnal. They were going after men. They were allowing sinfulness to be evident in this, in the assembly. They were not judging sin. In fact, they were glorying in their freedom in sin. So Paul wrote them this letter. And he was greatly comforted, especially when Titus came and told how they'd accepted him. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Somehow or another, that little statement gets into my heart. I'm filled with comfort. I'm rejoicing in all my tribulations. Rejoicing in tribulation. I'm reminded, by the way, of that, of that chapter, Romans chapter 5, verse 3, where Paul says, We glory in tribulations also, because tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given unto us. We glory in tribulation. It's what Paul is saying. I'm so comforted. I'm so comforted. Without were fightings, within were fears. I was in a time of great tribulation. The outside situation was terrible. Inside, I was full of fear. And then when Titus came and told me how you'd received him and the comfort he had, oh, how it comforted me. So I reread it again, if I may. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only his coming only, but by the comfort wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. In other words, when Titus came from Corinth and told Paul how they had received his letter and how they had received Titus, it was such a benediction to Paul. You see, he was full of fear that he had overstepped his limit in writing to the Corinthian church. He didn't know how they were going to receive his letter. When he found how they received it, he was greatly comforted, greatly blessed. It didn't matter what the tribulation was, what the opposition was, what the suffering was. He was filled with joy and comfort because of the movement of the Spirit of God upon the Word in the hearts of this assembly. I can understand that in a very, very little way. Now, notice what he goes on to say. Having experienced this comfort, then he said this, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for, but I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorrow, sorry though it were but for a season. But now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Then he goes on and manifests or writes down the blessings they had because of their godly sorrow. So you have here the reason for his comfort. You see, he was greatly troubled about the Corinthian church. And he had written a very strong letter. As he said in verse 8, I made you sorrow with a letter. I do not repent, though I did repent. In other words, after he had written the letter, he wanted if he hadn't been too strong, too hard on them. 
But when Titus came back and told him what the result was, he was filled with joy. Now he goes to verse 9. But now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrow to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now look at what Paul is saying. They were genuine in their repentance. Not indifferent. They didn't say, well, Paul, you're overstepping your line, overstepping your authority. No, there was genuine sorrow. Real repentance. Now I remember in the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 21, when Paul was talking to the Ephesian elders, he talked about his message being repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There he's talking about sinners coming to the Savior, coming to the living God, repentance toward God, changing their mind about God, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in repentance and I believe in faith. In fact, if a person is genuine in their faith toward the Savior, it's because there's been the moving of the Spirit of God upon their hearts concerning their lives. Otherwise, you wouldn't come to the Savior. But this passage is dealing with God's people. Godly sorrow worketh to repentance, you see. In verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Now he's talking to believers. Their fellowship has been broken because of their looseness in their lives. But when they got Paul's letter, they were not indifferent to it, but they really repented. I say this has to do with believers in their walk before God. Deliverance from an attitude of indifference, deliverance from a life of failure, and a readiness to see that justice was done. And here you see how it worked upon these people. I believe in repentance. May I just say here, I know many Christians can say, well, Mr. Mitchell, you know, I stand upon 1 John 1, 9. Okay. Do you know what that verse is? Talking to God's people. When your fellowship is broken, sin has broken that fellowship, what do you come? What do you do? You come to the Lord. And as 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so on. But confession without repentance is not genuine confession. In other words, when you come, you come and confess your sin because you don't feel right about it. You're agreeing with God that the thing you've been doing is not in accord with his will, in accord with his character or even his love. So we come and we confess with shame what we have done. As the children of God, how should we walk? How should we live? As I said at the very beginning of this program, the great thing God wants is your fellowship and my fellowship. And sin breaks it, just like the Corinthian church. And when Paul wrote to them, the word of God by the Spirit of God moved in their hearts and they had godly sorrow that worked to repentance, even unto salvation. That is deliverance, deliverance from their looseness, deliverance from what they were doing so they could live and walk in fellowship with God. This is what Paul's talking about. Then he goes on and gives us the reaction of it. Listen to these words. For behold, this self-same thing, that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, 
What fear, what vehement desire, what readiness to see justice done in all things. You have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. In other words, their repentance, they sorrowed to repentance, and it was evidence of a transformed life, of a changed life. Instead of being indifferent to sin, indifferent to what was going on in the Corinthian church, they were sorry before God. It was real, and it wrought carefulness in them. They cleared themselves of what they'd been doing. They had indignation to what they had done, and they were real in their desire, in their zeal, to put things straight, to see that justice was done. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for the, his cause that had done wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. I did it because of my love for God and my love for you. And he, he records here, not only was the church repentant, but this young man, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he was in the sin and corruption. He also sorrowed with a godly sorrow and came back to the Lord. And hence, he said, we, we wrote you not because we hated you, but because we loved you, because we had great care for you in the sight of God, so on. For therefore, we were coveted in your comfort, Yea, and exceeding the more joyed, we rejoiced with the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For I have boasted of anything of him, of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And his inward affliction is more abundant toward you, while he remembered the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. You know, I, I must say this, what an encouragement it is to pastors, Christian workers, to see the effect of the word of God upon the hearts and lives of his people. It's a real comfort. And I say here, in my own experience, what a real comfort it is to see God's people, especially those who have failed God, have become lukewarm. Then to see the Word of God by the Spirit of God moving in their hearts, in their lives, until their lives are turned around and they begin to live for God. My, what a comfort this gives to God's servants. You know, and I want to say very, very kindly, so many of God's people today are indifferent and they're cold to the manifestation of his word, even among evangelical Christians, there's a coldness, there's an indifference that seems to have swept our country. There's a tremendous need for us to walk with God, where the word of God will have its rightful place in your heart and life. And may I again remind you, you can't live a day out of fellowship with God. You pay for it. And you can't live a day without his word in your heart, and in your life. We must feed upon that word. And how many Christian workers, pastors and teachers, have been greatly discouraged because the word of God has not taken effect in the lives of those who are in the congregation. I want to make a plea here in behalf of pastors and teachers and Christian workers. Dear children of God, remember, you're God's child. He wants you to live for God. He wants your life to be a transformed life. 
And the Spirit of God can do that. Oh, but you say, Mr. Mitch, if you only knew where I lived, under what circumstances I am living, well, I don't know, but he knows. He knows, and I know that if you love the Savior, you can't walk and live a day out of fellowship with him. You pay for it. And when you do walk before God, my, what an encouragement to pastors, to teachers, to Christian workers. Instead of being discouraged, and may I say this, there are so many pastors who have been discouraged and disheartened because of the lives and the indifference and the coldness of God's people. May I, may I say to you very bluntly, and I say to this now, I'm speaking to you as a pastor. You put your pastor on your heart. You intercede for him. You pray for him. Take him into your love. Take him into your heart. Take him into your life. Encourage him. He has tests and trials of which you know nothing. And I want you to be a co-worker with him in this great, wonderful task of bringing people to Christ. Will you do that, dear Christian friend? If your heart is cold, you go to the Lord. And may you be a source of comfort to every Christian worker whom you meet. May the Lord grant this to you today for his precious, holy namesake. Lord bless you. So until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.